Welcome to the party, pals. I'm Phil Gawthorne, action movie screenwriter. And I'm Liam Billingham, movie podcaster. And together we host Die Hard on a Blank, a podcast from Sugar23 that explores the influence of Die Hard on action cinema. In each episode, we'll talk about one major action movie that was released after Die Hard. Now, some of these movies take place on a bus. On a boat. Or even a roadhouse. Uh, sure. The point is, these are action movies that couldn't exist without Die Hard, and its DNA is everywhere. Die Hard on a Blank is a celebration of action movies and a deep dive into the ways that Die Hard shaped the action genre. So if you're a casual fan or an action movie Die Hard. Ooh, very nice. Then Die Hard on a Blank is for you. Yes, you personally. Our first two episodes, which are all about the original 1988 masterpiece Die Hard, drop December 21st, because Die Hard is a Christmas movie, wherever you get your podcasts. Phil, do the line. Now we have a podcast. (laughs) Ho, ho, ho. Good morning, Uber Busters, or whenever you happen to be listening. Uh, wherever you happen to be listening, I hope it's going well. This is Liam Billingham, co-host of Uber Busters, and today's episode is on a killing, the killing of a Chinese bookie. Um, before we jump in, I want to read a quick review. We've been getting a few more reviews, and we always need more, and we want to highlight these reviews. So, this review is from January, and it's by Jordan, so to speak. And Jordan gave us five stinking stars and said, fun, listen, and informative. Usually, I find podcasts about movies to be overly pretentious. Agreed, Jordan, so to speak. This is a very laid-back conversation between a couple of really funny, clever guys who clearly love movies and have done their homework. Really shed some light on a movie that I had just seen and not quite understood. Highlighted the good, the bad, and the confusing. Highly recommended. When's the MeUndies sponsorship happening? Jordan, so to speak, that's a good question. We thank you for the review. It's really great to hear back from those listening, and we hope this inspires others to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And also get in touch with us at oeuvrebusters at gmail.com. Send us an email, and uh, we're also on Instagram, oeuvrebusters, and we're on Twitter, oeuvrebusters. We're in all those places. Get in touch. We'd love to hear from you with positive, negative, whatever feedback you got. Okay, I'll leave you now. Enjoy the show. I'm Liam Billingham. And I'm George Fogopoulos. And this is Oeuvre Busters. Oh, I always Buster. get to. I always get Bust Busters. What's fucking? Maybe we could just kind of quickly recap what this film's about. This film's about Cosmo Vitelli. So Cosmo Vitelli. Uh, Small pr- clone pr- club owner. Proprietor. Proprietor. A, what you might call a... Um, crazy Horse West. A, a crazy horse west, a strip club. No, he calls it crazy horse west. <laughs> no, 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 no. He does call it crazy horse west. Um, interesting fact too that the this place was um, the place used the Casavetti's uses was actually called Gazzari's. Uh, on you f- oh, you were serious about that yeah, when you tweeted it. I tweeted it. Yeah, but uh, true story. Interesting. Uh, and this isn't my joke, but I'm, I'm stealing it from the um, the lovely Tina Fey. But uh, as this film as this film was on my TV, um, I'm pretty sure that uh, my TV caught an STD. Because this Jesus nightclub, Christ. this nightclub is grimy. It's pretty dirty. <laughs> it is. So, so he's a small club owner, small and club he owner. gets gets in deep with some uh, with some uh, loan sharks. Loan sharks or ca- casino proprietors might be a better. They they own a casino. So the film, oh right, but are those the same guys? Is that the same guy that he's that's collecting money from him? You mean the guy who? So the film, yeah. So the film begins with him paying off a debt, and that's you right. find out that he's been kind of in hawk to these other Dudes, gangsters of yeah. these loan sharks for seven years. Right. The film pretty much begins with him paying off his debt. And then he proceeds <laughs> to go gambling with, <laughs> a, with, a, with an entourage of, of women. Right. Uh, one of whom is his girlfriend. One of Rachel. Yeah. Uh, um, I, believe, uh, I believe the actress's name is Azizi Johari. That's correct. And he has a pretty close relationship with her and her mother. Right. It seems like, you know, these, he's got all these women in his life, but he's, he seems to be a one woman man. But he brings all these women who work at his strip club to a casino. And at that casino, he loses. He goes in the hole 23,000 oh. clams. Did you? Uh, he, they do say clams, Do actually. they say clams? No, they don't say clams. Oh, Did you do the math, by the way? Did you, uh, do you know how much that would be in today's money? No, I didn't Some fucking do that. That's $23,000. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You're like, well, when you adjust for inflation. I did. I swear to God, I adjusted. How much was it? It was like over 100 grand. Fuck, 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 fuck. And they say that. <laughs> fuck. It's a lot of money. 
after finding out that he's $23,000 in debt or after coming to terms with that, he um, spends a significant portion of the film seemingly avoiding them until they come to the club and go, listen, we need you to, we need you to help us uh, get, get to this, this, this Chinese guy who uh, seems to also be involved in some illicit, right. illicit things. Eventually, that doesn't really work out. He sort of hesitates, so they ask him to kill him. And Cosmo is given a gun and, a, and, a, and an unmarked car and Correct. sent out into the L.A. night. And uh, he kills the guy, along with a few other people. Right. And then he finds out... Um, He's a fall guy. Right. Because he wasn't killing just a regular old bookie. bookie. He's killing a Chinese mob boss. Was, yeah. And uh, the mob then comes after him. Um, he fights them off. He kills them both, or he kills Seymour Cassell. And then the film kind of uh, then ends back at the club with Cosmo kind of, to some degree, coming to grips with, I guess, with the situation that's kind of unfolded. And his, who he is. Yeah, and who he is, and his kind of like own mortality. And then this version of the film, and I actually don't know how the other version of the film ends. I uh, don't either. On a somewhat ambiguous note where you also find out that he's been wounded. He walks out of the club. Well, we know he's been wounded because he goes back to Rachel's house with the bullet with wound. With the blood, yeah. Down, but then leaves and goes to the club. Right. Um, and then he, it ends with kind of um, Mr. Sophistication. Who's the, the cabaret singer. And no, yeah, yeah. At his club singing and being humiliated on stage right. by by the women. And you don't know exactly what Vitelli's fate is. Does he die? Is the mob going to come after him and kill him? Because obviously... He's killed some of their guys. Is the Chinese mob going to come and kill him? There's a lot of open ends. There's a lot of open ends. He's, he's a dead man at the end of yeah. the movie. And, um, that, and that's the film, pretty much, as far as plot goes. Thank you very much for listening. As, um, as usual, with Cassavetti's films, the plot is not like the important though thing. Though, I think this film of, of is the is this is the first John Cassavetti's movie that fits, feels like it fits almost squarely into a genre. Yes, I'm glad you said that. Which too. is the domestic horror film. No, it's um <laughs> I was really obsessed with domestic horror films when I was like 28. I was like, "What a cool idea." That's more like I Mini Moscow. I love Antichrist so much, bro. Um no, uh it's a crime drama. Yeah, it's like a kind of I mean, not conventional in a uh, bad way, but it's kind of like your conventional L.A. film noir. Well, it it hangs on a an, an, on a plot. On a plot, yeah. That maybe, but it's also woman under the loose. influence doesn't, and husbands doesn't in, a, in any traditional sense. Um, let's let's get let's go through it. So, uh, what what's, what do you think this movie is about? What are the what are the th- what's going what are the themes here, George? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's so many themes. Who sure. Can, who can keep track? Um, um th- there's the theme of uh, stolen cars. Okay. There's the theme of uh, uh hamburgers that's when he has to all o- subjects. He has to order the hamburgers. Oh shit, we got to go through scene by scene because yeah. we forget about these amazing little encounters. Um so the movie opens uh how does the movie the movie oh the movie opens in an extraordinarily con- no, an extraordinarily contemporary way. I think this opening shot it just it cuts in there's no fade in it just <laughs> into Cosmo Vitelli, played by Ben Gazzara, in a performance that I think is like absolutely towering, incredible, just standing outside his club. And he yeah. stands there for a minute, and he turns and he walks, and the camera pans with him. And I thought a lot about like uh, specifically films of the Romanian New Wave the past ten years. I know it sounds crazy, Shut but just up. like they just start. Wait, in and you were worried that or, or you were pretentious earlier. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a big <laughs> fan of. For those that don't know. I love myself a Romanian. It's my favorite. It's are my, are you, it's my are favorite you trying summer. to paint a picture no. of like the death of Mr. Lazarescu? Well, it, it is. It, uh, I don't know about Lazarescu because yeah, I don't know if that's like the perfect example of that's the easy choice, but I'm thinking a little that's more the mainstream a police choice. adjective sort of choice <laughs> or a, um, for those of us that spend our time watching the later uh, Christy Puyu films. Right. Um, no, but it just, it starts kind of in the middle of action. Yeah. We're not given a lot of time to... We're not given a lot of... Uh, there's no scene where it's like, Cosmo Vitelli is a small club owner. <laughs> like, that kind of thing. And the first line in the movie is, it'll pick up Teddy. Yeah, yeah. And he's talking like, to don't the, worry, he's Teddy, talking to the doorman up. who might be Andre the Giant's dad. Oh, very good uh, deep cut. Deep, deep cuts. Deep, deep cut. And um, we instantly have a sense of where we are. We have a sense of a seedy kind of place. There's a lot of black in this movie. Black meaning there's a lot of darkness in this movie. And uh, he goes inside the club and and we see him at work and what's he do well he basically uh introduces the girls um and kind of gives them a minute or two to like get off the stage get dressed um run back out on the stage so what's really also interesting about this 
He's the club owner, film. but he also directs the numbers yes. and like he's a bit of a he's a bit of like a theater or a theater filmmaker director yeah. or filmmaker. So some of the research and actually, so one good thing about us uh, delaying the recording because of, this of my funny tummy is that I was able to. Going on. You should see the face Liam's making right now when he says <laughs> Is that I was able to actually do some research and using that, uh, putting quotes on that into this film. So I read um, the chapter on Cassavetes on Cassavetes. From Ray Carney's from, from book. Ray we Carney's gotta get Ray Carney on the show. We do, yeah. Him, I mean, maybe. You think he'd want to be on the show? I don't know. I mean, Marty's been on the show for like seven weeks. How long? Now, and he's not. Do, he's not. Had, hasn't said a fucking word. That's crazy. And, I just want to talk and about this silence. Is the episode, this no is the fucking episode where you can talk. No one. Uh, no one has seen silence. I'm the only person alive who's seen the movie. Is this, by the way, came out in the same year uh, that a uh, taxi driver. False. Came out. Wait. No, so taxi driver came out in 1977. So I heard, I remember reading in the maybe in the Carney book maybe it was lying that this that Taxi Driver came out like a week or two after this did and like kind of like somewhat similar films. I thought it was probably not. I thought this was uh, I thought this, this was, was earlier. Yeah, but I think Taxi Driver seventy seven. I could be wrong. Maybe I'm spreading misinformation. Well, why don't you look it up at the in the John Cassavetes uh, encyclopedia? Yeah. So he basically, yeah, not kind of like MCs, but he gets on the mic and kind of like introduces. But yes, he's like a showman. He's ba- so he's backstage. He's like significant. We don't see his face. We only hear his voice. The the people in the crowd only hear his right. voice. But it's also great too because the first time you see him kind of like talking and buying time for the girls, you hear people in the background like, "Get off!" The, like, shut up. And Show what's us interesting, the girls. What's interesting about that is he kind of ignores them because in the scene he's like, "Well, that was." That was lady blah blah blah, and she's 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 from Paris, and these people are like, show us the boobs, <laughs> yeah. and he ignores it because I think that this guy believes in showmanship. Yes, he totally. believes in, the, and he, despite owning a a, a a strip club, he believes in like decorum and being a gentleman and all these things that that are like, that like make for a meaningful night at, at like a at like a club. He thinks he's an artist. He's, it, yeah, and well, he views and himself the way as he an is. And like it's interesting too because he's got taste in his mind. When he pays off um the first guy, he says to him something well he's now he's able to kind of like talk freely to him because he's paid him off and he says something like, like you're you know, a bum. Yeah, he's like you're a bum. He's like you got no style. And apparently one of the things uh, that I read in the Carney book is that the uh, and that guy has no style. is very much based on uh, Gazara and that Gazara was kind of like very much interested in like I don't know like being a showman being like the loudest voice in the room um, which is so funny because there's something like I think Ben Gazara Ben Gazara does this thing with his eyes he does it in this movie at the end he looks he blinks down them? he blinks but he, he looks down in such a method. way that like he's so <laughs> such an asshole he's so <laughs> like he's he's very pr- like he he's as an actor he actually takes the time to think you can see Ben Gazzara thinking on screen, especially in this film and in Dogville, which he's in much later, um, in a way that I've almost never seen an actor take. Like, There's a moment when he's, he has a speech at the end of the film in front of an audience, and he kind of does this thing where he looks down, and you can see him. Maybe he's thinking of what his line is, whatever's going on, but it's like he's so thoughtful as an actor, like both in, in I think, his choices, but also like in the way that he actually presents himself on screen. Serious question, though. Isn't that... A sign of being uh, ill-prepared. Like, why were those thoughts not already kind of processed before, let's say, shooting the scene? I mean, I think that really depends on what you think about acting, right? Like, I think, um, especially when you're dealing with a director who probably wanted to create an environment where anything could happen, I think that, um, you know, I think I think a good actor, in my opinion, a good actor will use the instability of of losing the moment as a, as a way to regroup on camera. And also the other thing to keep in mind is that any other director may have cut that cut would cut, would probably cut to another angle, but that's not how true. That's not how JC rolls. No, but I think um, it's interesting that he'd be based on Gazara because Gazara kind of seems like a loud mouth. And this character is so reserved. And so I, reserved. And I didn't think about it till afterwards. Harry's a lot more out there. Oh yeah, totally. And I was like this, well, that's one thing also that really struck me about, because we spent a lot of time obviously talking about like masculinity and kind of uh, representation of masculinity. Toxic masculinity. And it's toxic masculinity. Toxic <laughs> masculinity. I love that Britney Spears song, by the way. That is actually a legitimately great it is. song. Uh, I love. Um, you're, we're not, you're not fucking around. I no, no, I, no. I'm serious. It's I an incredible song. Yeah. Um, but um, do you think it's funny how like 
pretentious people are like i hate britney spears except for toxic except for toxic. whereas i say i hate britney spears except for toxic and email my heart yeah which is from her first record do you I know have you ever heard email my heart you know what i've not actually. at the end of this episode i'm gonna read you the lyrics to email my heart oh my god that'd be amazing is that all for the first album it's track number nine off the first album wow. yes that's correct that album's like the uh was it it's just turned 20 years old or something wow <laughs> he used him he views himself as an artist that's true he does he views himself <laughs> as a as an artist that's true um so then the next scene um cuts to yeah him paying off his debt which this is one of the first moments in the movie where i was sort of blown away by you know i think that there's a rough and tumble I, i've said from the beginning like a lot of people watch think of cassavetti's movies as movies where he kind of just points the cameras at actors and lets it go but like there's a lot of fucking cinema in this movie and one of the things that's really great is there's that long track as he as gazara walks yeah. over to sit with the guy and it's just beautiful and it's yeah. the first time we've seen la painted in such like a like a sunburnt kind of light yeah. Minnie and moskowitz didn't really have more of the scenes, scenes in the morning like right yeah but sorry that's what i want to say going back to this kind of talk about his performance and his performances as a type of masculinity it is really restrained. That was like five minutes ago. Sorry. There's only one moment in which, and that's kind of later on in the movie, where he kind of like gets really loud with or the mom. With the mom, yeah. And ev throughout the entire film, it's like you could tell. Like I'm glad you said this. Um, we said about it. Like you could see him processing his thoughts and his feelings and his emotions, and that never kind of stops throughout the entire film. You mean he he does? Like in the sense, it's very restrained. Like yeah. it's very much a performance of interiority. Yep. And it's like clearly like on screen. So after we see him uh, pay this guy off and kind of give him a hard time, call him like, you know, you have no style, whatever. The next thing we see is him in a limo. Correct. With his driver. Correct. Who, and going around and picking up these various women. Who work for him. Who work for him. Uh, did you notice the touch that when they get in the limo and he offers them champagne, it's a champagne bottle from like a previous rider? No. He's like, I think this bottle of champagne is open. I'm... <laughs> Like Does he, he say I, that? Yeah, I think I so. Like, that. there's something that's like it's very clear. He, I think it's already been popped. Like, I think he just kind of like rented the limo. And well, it's really. Like, it seems like he's trying to take them to prom because he's giving them um, what's it like, uh, what's it called? Uh, not crochets. Crossages. Actually, I got you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you for our uh, email. My heart. E email. <laughs> um, and so these women come out. And the women come out, and then you find. I guess you don't. I guess, do you find out that, that Rachel is his um, girlfriend? Well, you time? see him go in ambiguous. and meet the families of the other wives. And the first time I, I mean, the, sorry. Well, the you see him and go in and meet the, of the girlfriends and for a minute you're like, is he dating all these women? Yeah. Which he isn't. No, he's He's not. kind of only dating Rachel, who um, is one of the women. She's black. And he takes some time to actually talk to his mother. So it's clear that her when mother, he meets yeah. her mother, when he meets the family of another character, it's sort of, there's a little bit of distance, but it's very clear with Rachel's mother, right. who's just called Mama that there's a closeness so it's sort of clear that it's his, that maybe it's his girlfriend yeah and then they go to this underground Shady gambling casino. yeah <laughs> not a great uh look and and um again you don't exactly see him like lose the money but you find out that he, he's lost like a shit ton of money i wrote twenty three thousand dollars twenty five thousand dollars twenty i said twenty three twenty three yeah. you know what that is now adjusted for inflation no, please over a hundred thousand dollars whoa yeah. if somebody had thought of actually like like doing that during while they were watching this film i'd be like that person's amazing yeah they've like <laughs> the thinking that goes behind that but they smell bad so it's weird <laughs> um so and there's sort of this scene where he's playing and the women are bored i love the scenes in this movie that are like kind of viewed through the there's two scenes in a row here that are sort of like viewed through the lens of the women yeah, okay to like some extent scene? well yeah the it immediately cuts to yeah, cuts them, from them in the them car in the to at the bathroom in the bathroom and they seem kind of bored yeah and they're like oh, and they're kind of bickering but which is something that they seem to do throughout the movie but it's interesting it's interesting whose perspectives he chooses to seem to take throughout the film uh, in this scene it's the women and then they after they're in the bathroom together they go back out and they sit at the table sort of around him and it's it's interesting to note that he Kind of brings this like entourage of women, yeah, and nobody well, else there has. Everyone else is kind of like there to gamble, and correct. he seems to. Another moment is, I think there's a little bit of self-deception in this character about what's classy and like oh, where's yeah, a classy totally. place no, no, to no, bring no. people. Yeah. He's clearly trying to kind of, um, I don't know, play the in in today's common parlance like the pimp. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He He's trying to be this kind of like bigger than life dude. And it's also really fascinating, too, because literally the scenes juxtaposed like, okay, I'm done with this debt. I've just finished paying off this debt of seven and years. I'm going to go get 
I'm gonna go spend a bunch. So like, I'm gonna go spend a shit ton of money to see legal gambling done. So he illegal gambling. Illegal yeah. gambling. So he lo- <laughs> he oh he lo- he loses um a shit ton of money. Um, there's also this really funny scene before he gets kind of um. So after by the he mob. loses the money, yeah, he gets to go wait in a room where they talk to the other. There, where like all the people who lost money at this illegal casino have to talk. Right, and, and that's there's a, great a scene, scene with this doctor. And again, this scene is from his wife's perspective. The camera is mostly on yeah. the wife of the doctor, and she's like, "What the fuck?" And he's like. Oh, I'm a doctor. Yeah. You should take me very seriously. Make fun of his like job, and he's like, he's like, that's no, uh, that's yeah. no way to make, make fun of a man's profession. <laughs> and the wife's like, "What the fuck is wrong?" These with men you? could kill you. Yeah, he's like, they wouldn't kill. She me. literally says that these men could kill you. And then so this guy owes a couple of grand too. Five thousand. And he's like, he's like, how about thirty-one days? And the guy goes, how about now? <laughs> that's really, it's really scary. It's a oh, scary scene. There's scary. some really scary scenes in that this movie. But yeah, the wives are co- wives slash the girlfriends are kind of. And you know, av- uh, our code of voice is a reason. And after Minnie and Moskowitz, it's a not disappointing, but there's less. The women in the film, the women in this film, are slightly more like peripheral to the main action of this story. Mm. And it's there's no Jenna Rowlands. Yeah. There's no Minnie. Rachel's there's a Lady Rowlands in this. The Lady Rowlands. Lady Rowlands. Hello. That was the, the first uh, woman that's picked up. I believe that's the Lady Rowlands's house. Oh, that's right. Lady Rowlands's mom. Don't. Mm. Again. Yeah. What? Lady Rollins. What'd you go? Because she's no. I dun, 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 dun. Oh, I th- it sounded like you were doing like. Ah. Having a stroke. <laughs> I was like Led Zeppelin. <laughs> oh, from the immigrant song. I fucking do, love that. Do um do that do that do that. Oh. Email my heart and say I love. <laughs> <laughs> um, You've ruined one of the greatest so songs of all time, yeah, and overrated. I mean email my heart. Overrated. Not. Not. How I dare do you say think that? Led about Zeppelin's a little overrated. About right? Britney. So no, they're fucking amazing. So. <laughs> Ze- Zeppelin. <laughs> My, if I had a dime for every time I heard one of uh, uh, a rambunctious teenager in the street just yelling Zeppelin in Brooklyn, yeah, um, yeah, oh, I'm kidding. Um, um, so he then gets pulled into the room, and the mobster's like, "You owe us a shit ton of money," and he's like, "And he's like, well, I don't want to have that much money in the bank." Notice how <laughs> they don't strong arm him the way they strong arm the guy who's five. Though. They're very civil with him. They are, very, you know, which is really funny too. At some point, they literally break out paperwork, and I wrote like, "Oh my god, does the mob really they're use mob paperwork?" Bureaucracy. They're like, they're like, here, sign these, sign these three documents that say that you owe us this money. Can we pause for a second and talk about the fucking stacked cast? Of gangsters here? Oh, yeah, yeah. Timothy uh, Carey, who you might remember as guy who takes bite of uh, Seymour Moskowitz's God. hot dog in Minnie and Moskowitz. vomited in. And Timothy Carey, we don't really have time to it. get into it uh, here, but again. he's a... What? Timothy Carey's a really interesting guy. Um, Apparently him and Cassell did not get along. Well, way to... Spoiler alert, Seymour so. Cassell is in this movie playing another mobster. Um, and you know, the first time I watched this movie, I really thought he was like a charming guy and watching it a second time. I was like, that guy's a piece of shit. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. And then Bob, great job. Bob Woodward, I forget his name, but a uh, really good actor who plays a guy with a tight mouth. Who, yeah. Who, the kind of man who did not live past the eighties and we don't, there's a <laughs> lot of like, mm, there's a, this movie is an interesting document document of like men prior to the, like that kind of man's man kind of thing. You know, that the quality huh. of the way that they're all kind of, they, they look like, Pengazar is probably like that, 44 in this movie, and he could be my grandpa. Like, he just oh, looks like older. There's a maturity. Look, yeah. yeah. Um, but the, he kind of politely signs some papers. He says, I don't have the money now, but I'll get it to you. And they seem to believe him, and they seem to be okay with it. Probably because the longer he's out, the more they can fuck around with him. Yeah. Vig him, too. Like yeah, they can do whatever they want. Vig is the original. Room. I haven't watched Get Shorty in a long time. No, the Vig is, isn't like Vig isn't, isn't a fancy name for interest. Yeah, maybe. That's what I was guessing. I don't know. So he makes that out alive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the, um, he, the, all the girls go. Um, I, did, did we see that scene where he kind of takes them all back home? We see maybe with Rachel. He yes. Says he takes them all back home. And, and there's a scene with Rachel where she's like, hey, I could come with you and back to like, the club. And he's like, no, I got to do something. Well, he says that he actually says, I'm going to go get some money and bring it back there. Like, I think he's going to go to the bank and take like right. five grand and give it to them. And he end up, ends up going to breakfast. And then. And then he's about, it seems like I was actually, I really like movies where people eat. So it's always a bummer in my in bummer in my mind that like he's going to order like a, like a, like breakfast. Yeah. yeah. And He's gonna uh, order a hot dog, a coffee, and a beer. Oh, the 
Christ. Order. Did I ever tell you about my friend uh, Kevin Condardo? Shout out to my buddy Kevin Condardo. Had right, an idea. Have friends. We had get an it. idea for a podcast called Grand Slam, <laughs> where you go to fancy, <laughs> you go to like fancy Brooklyn um, eateries, eateries, and you order you order you you keep modifying your order until it's very clear you're ordering a grand slam <laughs> and you see if the the people Person it like, it. like you're kind of like oh i'm gonna have the breakfast hash but instead of hash can i get pancakes two eggs <laughs> yeah sure and then can i get an, a side order of sausage and a side order of bacon yeah can i also get a side order of toast and, <laughs> and do you have those little like individual grape packages and that's when they're like are you ordering a grand slam? <laughs> like ding 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 ding. But grand I like slam. I like m- I especially like movies where people have breakfast at like after they've been up all night. I, I don't know. There's something about that. It's something. It's comforting. It's something it's very comforting. It's life affirming. And the fact that instead he this waitress who must work at this waitress that works Wor- at, the at the diner the that he goes to, which is down the street from the club, is like, can I audition for you? And they go back to the club. Uh yeah, and he's like, sure. Why the hell not? So then she does this like kind of really awkward dance she for comes him. Comes out topless. Um, and she's running around and he's stage. like slow down he's and like he's just like, walk across yeah, the stage stop jumping stop jumping and then rachel walks rachel. in and this is the first time we get a sense that maybe this is something of a serious right because she's clearly jealous and she she hits, she, she, she hits both of them she hits her too and she runs away she gets dressed she leaves the girl the girl Rachel's still there yeah and then they have like this really interesting scene and this is also the scene where he says like I'm a club owner. I deal in girls. This is what I do. And there's a long yeah. shot of the ba- of his back as he's like holding her down. It's a really interesting way to photograph it. It's almost like he's holding her down, trying to get her to come, trying to get her to take some cordial or brandy. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot he like. It's a very some, weird. Yeah. It's a very weird scene. It's also the first. So I think that one of the things that sort of my my there's a big moment a little bit later in the movie, but I think it's worth talking about now where. Well, let's so let's 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 come to let's again. But it. I think that this is the first moment where I think um, it's revealed that there's a there's an edge to this guy that we didn't know was previously there. And the later on, yeah, he forces to forces her to take this drink. Like he's still very mannered and very yeah. controlled. And I also think it speaks to what the movie might be about politically, which I think there's a very s- political element to this film. Totally, yeah. And it's funny too because I mean, I, I we've talked about this before about how so much of like the politics of the decade of like the 60s to the 70s of the decades are not really explicitly addressed in these films until this one until maybe. this one but again maybe i mean i would say definitely but also like in a very kind of um adjacent do you want to talk about that now um you well, maybe we we're almost there too yeah okay so what so if we're talking about the same scene i think not, we might we're not i'm really excited to see if we are right so, so then the next the aliens attack and then the today the we celebrate our independence day i was, I was going with starship troopers and i was like and you could really tell that's society's <laughs> in less than an hour planes from it that's independence day <laughs> so then um what's the next scene so um so he yeah so they have the scene where they kind of reconcile it's also by the way interesting too because and i'm glad also that it's not really commented on but also we have like an interracial couple here and it's not like again another example of there's no there's no scene where he's like hey I'm cool with black people right like yeah, yeah, yeah. like it might be in it's another not, movie yeah it doesn't sound like no. heavy handed it just like it is what it he is he comes off as such a saint the first time you watch this movie in a weird way Ben Gazzara to me he seems like such a good guy huh was yeah, my well, first I mean, reading well he's very much like a tragic figure and either in the sense that because he views himself. Like it's yeah. it's very much kind of like the epitome of, of of tragedy, right? Like he views himself in this kind of like elevated heroic manner, and it's really very much like totally about like his downfall. Yes, which is not exactly Aristotelian tragedy, but it's close enough. Oh, there's a unity of strip club. So then, um, so then we g- we all know that the the Aristotle is the unity yeah. of strip club in time. Of, of course, without question. Thought that joke would be funny time, the second time. Time, time, time dance and nudity. Dance. Yeah, oh. well, the strip club. Yeah, yeah. Of course. So then the mob Time comes. Time That could be like a class you teach in this place. Totally, of course, yeah. Hmm. So then the mob. So so like they're back to business at the club. The ladies are on stage. We have one. We're treated to our first scene with Mr. Sophistication. Mr. I believe, Sophistication. Like, who's sort of singing a song about. Um, Talk about a clown. Paris. This is the. So there's oh, a, num- the a Paris, Paris number. number. And it's like they're sort of talking about being in Paris. And there's, you know, really interesting scenes. But also like one thing that I kind of love about this movie is it's kind of about a community theater. <laughs> and it's, it's and I think that's really cool. And I think that one thing that m- this makes this movie unique, you know, the first time I watched this film, I don't know if I believe this this anymore, but the first time I watched this film, I was like, this movie is not given enough. Like, why is this movie not getting more? This is like, 
this is as good as as good as fucking Taxi Driver. This is this movie's amazing. Yeah. It's truly amazing, and it's like it's it's almost forgot. Like, because a lot of dude bros, I know The Godfather is a great movie. What, yeah, but I'm also persistently annoyed when people say like that's my favorite movie. You as know, amazing of a movie, it's as funny because it uh, ca- sorry, because Casavetti shit talks The Godfather in uh, the Carney book. Really? Yeah. Well, in the sense that he basically says like something along the lines of um, he kind of dismisses it in the sense of. I think if it's original kind of like material, the book is it, shit. I forget exactly what well, the book is shit, but I think he's, he says something. Take really that Mario Puzo. <laughs> he's rolling. Come at me, grave. bro. <laughs> where he's like, <laughs> where he's kind of like the, the Mario Puzo fan club is not going to, it's not going to be happy with us on Twitter. But I mean, I think that he would probably view the Godfather, Godfather as like a, as like kind of a, an empty entertainment. I think that's exactly what he says. Whether you think that's, I'm not saying that's true. At all. I'm a huge but fan of The Godfather. It's a great movie. But it is more of... It's like that classic idea of like, The Godfather's a movie, whereas Killing of a Chinese Bookie is a film, which I'm not saying I ascribe to that, but I could see that being the sort of like boring... Right. And I think one of his criticisms actually, again, in the Carney book is that he says that gangsters are actually rather boring. And he's Oh, interesting. And he says something along the lines of like, what can I possibly say to a gangster? Why would I want to hang out with a gangster? He's like, they're boring people. And I think he, he says something along the lines of like, because he aligns them also with businessmen and with studio suits. I think Francis Ford Coppola knows that gangsters are boring too because it is a movie about family as opposed to gangsters. Uh-huh. And I think that that's a... I mean, I don't think it would be the movie it is without it being about a lot more than just gangsterism or gangster. And it also is a political film. There's politics yeah. in The Godfather. Like, I think, unfortunately, it's like a victim of its own reputation. It's such a good movie, but it's, it's a also movie, like... Yeah. It also has a sequel that's entirely better than it. Correct. In a lot of ways. And I think that I'm talking, of course, about Godfather Part 3. Of course. Yeah, without question. Um, <laughs> Definitely a masterpiece. So then they have this really interesting. So they come to the club um, and they're like, hey, we want to talk to you. And this is also where like Seymour Cassell kind of like the gangsters come to the club. Yeah. Shows that he's not somebody to be fucked around with, that he's somebody to be taken seriously. Seymour Cassell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they come to the so, so they take him to this diner. And this is where the this is where the film scene. gets political. Why? So, the, so they say it right off the gate. We realize one thing off that the we gate. one right. I keep saying off the gate. Off the gate. One thing we notice. Um, there's a moment earlier in this, this podcast. Something that we should we should jump back and talk about that. They originally say to him, "Hey, listen. We need you to bring your girls to Chinatown, and br- and get them to bring this guy back to the club. Right. And he brings them to Chinatown, and they get Chinese food, and then." They're kind of sitting there, and he goes there. He's like, "What do you want to do? Do you want to go to a movie?" And they're like, "Yeah, let's go see a Chinese movie." And then it cuts to them in a movie theater, and they've clearly sat through like several hours of movies. And you get this feeling that he's hesitated. Oh, of he's, course, he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't actually want to go this. through with this. Yeah. Um, and they so rush back to the club for the show, and that's when Seymour Cassell and the goons come and take him to the diner. Right, but at, so at this point, obviously, they've told him. Yes, at this point, they've given him the option of like, n- you don't have to kill him, but you have to draw him back. To the club, which they would probably kill him at the yeah, club, and that is not what a club owner wants at his right. club. But he and they said something like, "Oh well, um, not forgive the entire debt, right? But like a lot of it." I he think. wanted to pay down the debt, right? So then he doesn't do that. Yeah, he's clearly scared of doing that. And in a way, it's the right. As a small business owner, please, Liam. I actually am not a small. I own this podcast. Do you also? By the way, not I own like this podcast. <laughs> podcast. Podcast. Um, podcast. Um, so they take him to a diner, and this is when the film. Gets suddenly suddenly has this very clear political undertone. So then they have this really yeah. So they basically talk to him about killing this Chinese bookie or what they say is a Chinese bookie. Um, but then there's all the also all this talk about like violence against Asian people. Yeah, like because he says something like, "Oh, I was in Korea or something." Well, and, he, and they ask him how, and he said, "I killed, I shot a few, I killed a few people." Yeah, they yeah. said, "How do you kill people?" And he said, "With an M1." And an M1 is like a stand was like a standard issue. I looked this up, I didn't know it was a standard so issue. Look that Army up, rifle. Look up the inflation rate. Tis, tis, guns, tis. guns, 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 guns. <laughs> um, so what we're suddenly re- we suddenly learned this guy's a, a veteran. Yeah, and so are most of the guys at this right. Table. And they talk about very briefly. I think they talk about World War Two. Well, Korea like, would have been a little later. No, no, no. But I thought one of the guys. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, the thank you. But I thought one of the guys talked about because I thought they talked about also violence against Japanese people. Like yeah, he says like World War Two, and he uses that terrible term to refer to. Right. Yeah. It's, there's some racial racist language. Yeah. So, and, but this this is the part of the film is like, oh my god, this is where like the politics come come in, and where obviously you can read it. At least this film, let's say, or at least the scene 
as obviously kind of some sort of commentary on Vietnam. Yes, totally. And it's interesting to think, like, how old is Ben Gazzara supposed to be? Because Definitely like, not he's in Vietnam. I mean, my... Korea. Uh, Korea, right? Like, but Korea is, what, 1950s? In the 50s, yeah. Like, um, so he's supposed to be a little older, but I don't think... Anyway, side note. But yes, he is a veteran of the Korean War. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, and this is, I think, where you get uh, Cassavetes, for the most part, kind of uh, actually saying something about... United States imperialism, <laughs> oh, <laughs> violence okay. against other uh, nations. I saw it especially, as, obviously, in the East. It's interesting because I saw it as being. I mean, that's clear, but I think I also saw it as being a much more personal statement about politics and violence and and stuff like that. In, in the what sense way? That, well, you have this guy whose entire focus in life is creating a club, like a show, like a thing for people to escape their troubles. When actually, Ben Cosmo Vitali is like a pretty good killer. He knows how to kill people and he's good at it. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. And so it's kind of like... He's is, a killing is machine. He, he kind of is a killing machine. And there's an element to the... There's a there's a big quality to the last half of this movie being an action film on some level. Now, now I want to see like Ben Gazzara in uh, Die Hard. Ben Gazzara is John McClane. But I think in the last episode, I made a claim about Peter Falk and for Superman. No. And you were like, really? I was like, no. But Did now... Did you make a McClane? <laughs> I mean a McClane. <laughs> But now I want to be like, oh man, I wonder what. Even if he was like in the seventies, I don't give a fuck. Ben Gazzara, ben Gazzara would be a in Die Hard, killer Lex Luthor. Oh, I see what you did there. I don't know what you did there. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's all of a sudden there's this, we we're revealed that he's a veteran and that he's a killing machine. He's he's uh he's killed some people. And they all kind of talk about that. So there's and they hand him a. No, oh no and just the sense of like so the violence that he has obviously kind of inflicted in the name of united states imperialism is kind of uh something that he could also en- enact on american soil against this person who he assumes to be just like a low-level uh bookie somebody of like absolutely no note and it's interesting that they would talk about um well i guess it's it's yeah I, so that's sort of that's sort of like somewhat that sort of went over my head in the sense that i was thinking more about like what it has to say about the way that people cultivate their lives after they go through really traumatic experiences or when they maybe kill for their for their country. Because he clearly also doesn't want to do this. No, he's it's not, not like he's it. like, right, he great. He's spent his whole life trying to escape this thing, but there's also the, some darker impulses. You know, one thing we didn't talk about is there's a scene earlier in the movie. After he pays the guy off, he goes into a club and orders, orders a scotch and water and has a couple of them. And he goes oh, and sits yeah. down on a table and this woman uh, is like, what are you looking at? Yeah. And he goes... I'm the king of the world. I got, I got balls, life by the balls. I got balls of steel or something. I and got life by the balls. Well, I got life by the balls, and then it cuts to him, and it's like, this is a sad guy. This is a guy that like totally goes yeah. and drinks by himself, yeah. uh, probably in the morning. But that's also the thing about like where he at times sad and lonely, and I. Well, that's also what's great about that first scene too, where he walks out. He says hi to his friend, and then he walks, and he's totally alone. Right? He's in the middle of this huge city. Yeah. You can hear the traffic. There's life buzzing around him. But he's shot. Think we're very alone now. See, I finally got heart. the singing. And um, is she? Did Brittany write a sequel to that called like "Text My Heart," "Snapchat My Heart," "Snapchat, <laughs> Snapchat My Heart"? Even <laughs> Look at Instagram, my jokes. Instagram My Heart. Oh my god. Instagram. Uh, Vine My Heart. So, then Vine they, My Heart. Then they put him in this car, and they're like, "Here's what you're gonna do." So they give him the gun. They give him. They give him. They they put him in like an unmarked car. Give him the unmarked car. They give him details about the house. He knows. Yeah, he gets a lot of details. They give him the road map. They're actually like one of the things I like about this. <laughs> They're very th- well, thoughtful. The Seymour's like, you take a left here. You drive yeah. for about five minutes. Like they really give him the details. And I think it's actually because on some level these guys do like him. And I think that that's a nice distinction that from maybe some other film that like this would not get made now with the same kind of. I, I with the subtlety. Yeah, and just the fact like that the like people have conflicting feelings about stuff like this. Anyway, he sets out and almost immediately gets in a car. Wait, 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 hold the hamburgers. They also tell no, him you're to jumping, buy. You're jumping. No, no, no. Oh, they, they tell, tell him to buy. Tell him to buy hamburgers for the dogs. For the dogs, yeah, yeah. They tell him to buy twelve hamburgers, uh, not individually wrapped. We'll come up with we'll can I also, up later. Yeah, because I, I I was looking at this bag that this guy wraps these twelve hamburgers in. Yeah. It's like those that those, there's no twelve hamburgers in there. Maybe okay. eight tops. And it's been a while since I've eaten like a real good, like meaty, juicy yeah, hamburger. You're like, a vegetarian. Yeah, but I'm like, there's no fucking 12 hamburgers in that. Like, who are you fooling, Casavetes? Casa movies. So he's driving to the, get the, he has to stop off and to get the hamburgers. Gets in an accident. Yeah, it's accident. weird. You don't understand why, but he kind of like loses control of the car. 
Yeah, and he runs out of the car and then in runs the middle back of the highway. In the middle of the highway, and that's it's actually really suspenseful because if you have to like, if your car stops on a highway in L.A., fucking forget about it. It's You're dead. Yeah. Why does he run back? Uh, well, he, what do you mean he runs back? He runs. He, he runs like the off car. the highway. Yeah, but then he goes back to the car. Oh. I think to get the gun. Oh, maybe to get the gun. Maybe to get the gun, and I then he go ahead. Oh no, I just don't remember him running back. And then there's and then a very pivotal scene. Right. Goes to the telephone, calls right. a cab. Yes. And then calls the club. Which is amazing. Amazing. He's like, hey, Billy, <laughs> it's Cosmo. <laughs> Who's on stage? <laughs> what number is that? He's like, is it the Paris number? The Paris number. You've worked here for seven yeah. years. And you don't know what the Paris number is. And, and he goes, again, it's are there letters on the stage? P-A-R-I. <laughs> and it's such a good scene because it just goes to show you that like this guy's whole world is yeah. this club. And, like, I mean, he's literally about to kill someone to save the club. Totally. So the club. He hasn't been in that situation. By <sighs> Every Thursday. So then he goes to the <laughs> he goes to the hamburger joint. <laughs> he gets the hamburgers. And there's this. He's a testy exchange with the waitress. And this is actually apparently in the director's cut or the longer. This is a much longer scene mm. in the longer cut of the film. Um, because there's this whole thing where he has this conversation. He's like, I don't want them individually wrapped. She's like, well, if you don't have them individually wrapped, how are people going to eat them? He's like, just give them to me as yeah. they are. Um, and the and the bartender's like, sort of apologizes to her yeah no apologizes to, to him to he's him. like she didn't mean anything by it. and she comes back she's like hey mister i didn't mean yeah. anything by it and it's clear that there's something that's been cut out of yeah of the of the film and then he there but it's a nice little collision it's kind of like the mini in moscow it's timothy carey scene at the beginning with um not as gross not as gross <laughs> and what can not as much as happens but i thought I, I sat through sallow like totally fine like eating popcorn like oh this is this is an interesting pasolini film that scene in Mini Moscow, it's probably the most disgusting thing ever put on pretty, soil. Pretty, pretty gross. Pretty so gross. then he gr- he grabs the 12 hamburgers. Yes, he does. And it, um, I just love also the specificity of it. Like, it has to be 12 hamburgers. He goes. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's not just like <laughs> buy a bunch of hamburgers. Just buy a bunch of raw meat. Yeah. He goes. Um, then he goes to the uh, bookie's house, which is like sort of a gated home with a yeah. long. It's like a bungalow. Yeah, and it's the the, the gangsters describe it like there's an A. I forgot how to do an A frame. An A frame, right? So there's like a house in the front, which is yeah. where like the henchmen hang the out. Henchmen live, and like the bookie or and the triad boss is in the back. Follows here is just like an extraordinary. Yeah. Scene well, before that, he feeds the dogs. So then he um he, he gets yeah he gets to the triad boss. You see him. The guy's like in a pool, pool bathtub with with a woman not um not uh age, age appropriate. appropriate. <laughs> yes. Um, Weird. Yeah, clearly, obviously, they've but been up to some But he stalks through the friskiness. house and sort of like Metal Gear Solids his way in and like <laughs> Very good sneaks reference. by like these these like sort of mob guys and like he kind of like at one point like I feel like he like he's like sort of lurking in a corner, much like John McClane. One thing that I like about the action, the scenes in this film is I don't think John Cassavetes spent a bunch of time being like blocking i mean pl- blocking the camera i think he was like just let's just follow him around but he has such an innate ability to know where to put the camera that yeah. there's like very pedestrian sort of shots really work what's really great about it is that yeah it, it kind of just follows him and then there's this long pan the guy's the guy's in the pool and then it kind of pans up and you see him notice ben gazar yeah, yeah, yeah pans up yeah and then the guy's like I'm sorry, I don't know what I did. And then Gazara shoots him. Yeah, well, it's impo- well, he says something else right before that, too, right? It's also really interesting, too, that... So, I was again, <laughs> reading the Carney book. Um, we should get some royalties for selling some books. Seriously. We sold two books. That Cassavetes was really um, having some um, doubts or questions about whether or not Gazara's character is actually going to kill uh, the bookie. Right. And that he was saying, like, up until, like, they filmed the scene, like, is he going to do it? Is he not going to do it? And he was, like, asking people, like, on the set, like, what do you think? What do you think? Would you kill the bookie? Should he kill the bookie? Would he not kill the bookie? Would he go through wow. with it? Um, That's so interesting. So, yeah, because it's also really interesting because, again, like, was there not a script? Or no, there was, was he just kind a script, of, yeah. but I think maybe that's just the process he went process. through of having to because there's a lot of doubt for him as a character totally yeah and i forgot the the mob boss says something else right he's before like, he says i'm I, sorry I d- he says something like i didn't do uh, yeah he sort of like starts to plead for his life and, and Gazzara shoots, shoots him twice and it's, and it's great too because you don't see him like topple over you never you don't, you don't see, see him, him get again. A shot and then and then you notice that there's a woman standing off screen or she has been up to this point standing off screen and he turns to look at her and she runs away. And yeah. then he realizes, like, fuck, I got to get out of here. And he starts running. And he starts running, but not before killing two, two more yeah. henchmen, which yeah. he was not 
was not on the list of things to do, but the kind of resolve that he has to get out of this situation, again, is a little bit of like a, this is a guy that knows how to, that, and he, the way he does kill them, he, he sort of plants himself, yeah. hears them running, and when they run yeah. the corner, he kills them. Like, it's a very, de- it's not a mistake, yeah, it's a deliberate yeah. Decision, which, which again is interesting because again in the Cardi, sorry to keep mentioning it, but in the Cardi book, Cassavetti says something along the lines of that there was either a scene, so maybe this is in the longer version or wasn't filmed or it was filmed and it was cut out entirely from both right. versions, where he says to like the henchmen like don't come in because I don't want to kill you or like I don't want any more violence, um, so that like the murder of those other two men are also kind of God, at least in one version. Good that it's that's cut out because I feel like I think would, so too. Yeah. yeah, it might be a little too much. So and kills them. He escapes. And he escapes. Because he gets, yeah, I think he sort of, they, they sort of run in the wrong, uh, the rest of the henchmen run in the wrong yeah. direction and he runs out. He actually gets out, I mean, granted, he kills two more people. He gets on a bus. He gets on a, he gets on a bus, but then quick quickly gets off the bus. He gets in a cab. To get into a cab. And then he does something so smart. So smart. So he's driving along with the cab driver. And he sees a cab driver, is not a movie theater. And he's like, yeah, and he says, oh, I feel like taking a movie stop here. And he gets out and he starts to walk in and the cab pulls off and you realize he's done this, I think, to create like something of an alibi. Ah, uh, huh. Oh, so wait, that like... That oh, the guy sees me get dropped. Oh, he drops me off. No, I was at the movies. Oh. This cab driver knows he dropped me off. Uh-huh. Huh. Because then he quickly gets in another but cab. But then he right? doesn't buy a cab, uh, movie theater, movie ticket. Yeah. So like that might have been his mistake. Hmm. Fascinating. Yeah, I don't know, but I, it felt like a very methodical move. Yeah, and, but then he also quickly gets in um, another cab. Less, right? it's a, it's sort of a, it's like a, uh, another I statement on Minnie and Moskowitz because Minnie and Moskowitz is all about the bullshit of the movies, and it's kind of interesting that maybe <laughs> he wants to, you know, I've I don't know. I just read it as kind of like he's freaking out and s- indecisiveness of like, oh my god, what do I do? How do I it's get out? It's probably a clearer reading, but I almost read it as a very methodical decision. And then it cuts to the scene where the mobsters are at this hotel, at this hotel, at this restaurant. And, and the they get the news. They get the news, but all not only and this scene is mostly from Seymour Cassell's perspective, but what's interesting is one of the people at the hotel. First of all, is Zelmo from yes. Minnie and Moskowitz. Yeah. Zelmo from Minnie and Moskowitz shows up playing. So I think like the big big boss. I feel like he's oh, like really? King Koopa. Oh, I Maybe. just thought he was no. I thought the big big boss was one of the other guys. Oh, the guy with the white hair and the yeah, teeth hair. yeah. Maybe, but I got a vibe that maybe Zelmo was was a bigger figure. But the other guy that who's there is the guy that he owed money to for seven years. Oh yes, yes, he gets introduced right, yeah. to the uh, that guy there, and yeah, they kind of there's this really interesting scene where they get like that guy, the guy who owes who the guy who from the beginning of the film who owed. Who Cosmo owed money to, money to um, who he says has no style is like, hey, did you guys? Says to Kimor, Seymour Cassell and Zelmo from Minnie Moskowitz, hey, did you guys hear about? Um, did you guys hear about uh, the killing, the killing yeah. of a Chinese bookie? <laughs> <laughs> and like, whoa, it gets really mad. And then at they that all point. look at the camera. Yeah. And he goes, when will then be now? Soon. <laughs> what is that? Spaceballs? Oh, that's what right. It's like, like, what's going to happen there? Let's, let's put in tape <laughs> the killing of a Chinese bookie <laughs> and find out what the hell is going to happen next. So he kind of like says, like, yeah, no, he, this Chinese mob boss got killed. And that's when you kind of find or you 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 infer that this guy's a bigger deal than yeah. they made him out to be. But um, And so Cassell gets this news, and it's very good news. <coughs> but then he walks over to Timothy Carey, yeah, who's having dinner. Great. And he's like, hey, idiot, you got to go kill this guy. Yeah. And he's like laughs. He's like, hey, you know what else is funny? You're going to have to go kill Vitelli. It's a really weird, really weird scene. But it's also kind of a cool scene in the context of the movie. Yeah. He goes to Rachel's mom's oh, house. Oh, that's right, yeah. And Rachel's Rachel's mom is there. And she's kind of like, what happened to you? And, and he's he bleeding at this point. He won't tell her because he's yeah. been shot. We don't know he's been shot. We find out he's been shot in this scene. He's kind of laying on the bed. And she goes maybe to get like a, uh, something to dress the wound or whatever. And she says, like, you have to go to the hospital. And he just disappears. Yeah. And then he goes to the club. And Timothy Carey's there. Mm-hmm. And Timothy Carey and him start to talk. Oh, yes. Okay, yeah. And then, actually, Rachel comes over, and they sort of hold hands, uh, Cosmo and her. And, like, again, it's just a reference to the fact that they're in a relationship, that they're whatever. And he and Timothy Carey leave and go to a garage. Yeah. Now, what do they talk about? I thought, wait, I didn't Cassell take? Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, Terry Carey Cassell does. Cassell comes yeah. later. Yeah, because... Yeah. I don't remember exactly what they're talking about, but th- it does kind of get. Well, there's a Marx reference. There is a Marx. Yes, I wrote it down here. I was like, "What the fuck does my handwriting say?" It's a, it's a nice Karl Marx. I Karl Marx. Karl Marx um, said that like religion is the opiate. Of the oh masses, yeah, but yeah. he's wrong. It's money. It's money. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of an interesting scene because you can if see. If only that Marx had written about money as well. If only. God, fuck. Yeah. What? What things he would have said? He wrote all that stuff about. But clearly, he doesn't want to kill 
he can't kill. Yeah, he's a phony. Vitelli. And this is such a big scene because like it's a great scene. Because uh Vitelli is like, You're a phony. Yeah. Like I'm a killer. You're a fucking yeah, phony. Yeah. And that's one of the things that sort of speak to my, you know, not well, I guess it's not a theory, but it is a little bit of uh, one of the things that the movie is about is the idea that like there's this kind of tragedy at the core of this guy's life, which is being a shell shocked or recovering uh murderer yeah. for for US imperialism yeah. who's decided that the only way to be happy is to like be an optimist mm. and create this whole world out of this like, like shitty yeah. skeevy environment which again it makes it sort of a a metaphor for um for filmmaking or for art making or for believing the facade the artifice of it all oh, right yeah. that covers up some sort of like tragic, tragic yeah. thing and uh, it's just interesting that he's like you're a phony and so timothy gear goes to leave Yeah, of course. Oh. <laughs> so, um, Timothy Carey goes to leave. She does this and she screams. And then she goes back to sleep. Yeah, I hope. So, Timothy Carey goes to leave. And pulling as he's pulling out of the garage, Seymour Cassell's pulling in. Yeah. <laughs> and it's good. Timothy Carey goes, that guy in there, he's my friend. <laughs> you deal with him. And he drives <laughs> off. And uh, it's almost like a Curb Your Enthusiasm <laughs> moment. It's like, son of a bitch. <laughs> 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 and Zemo's like, now I'm going to have to kill him. And so he pulls in, and he's followed by another one of the henchmen. That's right. Yeah. Cassell's Zemo Cassell like gets killed like, uh, very quickly. And kind yeah, of well, like he's kind of like, hey, man, I like you. Like, yeah. we can, I know you want to kill me, but like I've always liked you, whatever. And then the other guy makes a move, and Cosmo kills Seymour Cassell. Yeah. Shoots him in the car. And then we spend about two to three minutes following this other henchman as he looks for Cosmo. And he's clearly, like, he's outwitted this other guy. Like, because at this point, Gazara is, like, um, he's in killer murder. Mode. He's in killer yeah, mode. Yeah. And he doesn't get caught. Interestingly, he doesn't kill this guy. But this guy's, like, probably time for us to talk. And my reaction yeah. was, like, okay, bud. Like, <laughs> you're fucked. But he leaves and goes to the club. Right. And uh, and this is where the film kind of, like, wait. But so when, where's the scene with the mom? So he goes back over to the mom's before house before the club. Before the club, and, this and is Rachel is Rachel is there. Okay, yeah, and this is where he yeah they have the falling out. And she and Rachel's like, "What's going on?" And the mom knows that something's going on, but because she's seen the bullet, the wound, but he won't tell her. And uh, he starts talking about his parents. He's like, "My dad is yeah. a bastard," and we sort of get a sense that like again, this guy's broken a little bit. There's mm-hmm. something at his core that isn't quite sort sort of the first time in the film he's kind of honest. About himself, like he talks about himself. About himself, in a really yeah. Way. Well, then, last like, so obviously he's bleeding and he's dying, so it is very much a kind of, I guess, uh, confrontation with mortality, something like that. So they have a falling out. He right. treats her uh, like uh, terribly. Um, he kind of yells at her, and then he um, leaves. And yeah. she says, "Don't come around. Don't here come around anymore. anymore." And this is probably the closest thing to a family that this guy has. He goes back to the club. And well, the club is kind of like his family. That's true. Well, but at least we in this spent scene, a lot of time with feeling. the club. But when he gets to the club, all the patrons are just clapping. And it's because no one's on stage because Mr. Sophistication refuses to go on stage. Yeah. And so. I also love the fact that this guy thinks like they're all there for him because apparently he has a line about something. <laughs> so that then they're all like in the dressing room. Yes. And like Cosmo's kind of talking to them, like trying to like sort He's out their their shit. And there's this, this is this is really the scene that puts the movie over the top, I think. But yeah, the guy won't go on stage because he doesn't feel as though he's taken seriously, yeah. and like, <laughs> you know, and he's a really like depressing, buffoonish, like loserish kind of. One of the things this movie is about is like delusions of grandeur, and then just like plain delusion, and just being like he's kind of the big deal there, and I don't know. There's something about like how he kind of ignores his surroundings and like looks to the glory of what he does but like he's actually quite bad at it so yeah it's yeah not a good club not a good yeah um, well, he's, he's there to be made, f- made fun of yeah he's but a buffoon great, it's just great buffoon. because at the um as, as the french would say we mm. oui. <laughs> so there but it's just great because he thinks like oh the, the patrons are also here to see me and gazara has this amazing speech where he's like my f- my truth is your yeah. is your falsehood falsehood and your falsehood is my, my truth. truth i'm only happy when i'm angry yeah which All is great it's like a great like paradoxical line yeah. it's really paradoxical line about how like Oxymoronic. i don't know it's sort of about it's sort of about this he's maybe he's been denying his nature or that he's maybe he 
he created this circumstance. He put himself in the position to kill this guy because he had ev- everything was going fine for him. And what did he do? He went and gambled himself yeah. into $20,000, $30,000 debt because I think he believes in this world where like you can pick women up and go to a, a legal strip, whatever. I don't know. It's just, it, it spoke just to the kind of broken quality yeah. of this world that right. this film takes place in. I'm talking a lot, sorry. No, no, no. But, but again, it goes back to this like interesting, he's not like, an awful human being in the way that let's no. say um Gazara's character in Husbands is he's very much well I mean I, can, I mean I it don't deals know, with like a kind of repression he, and yeah it do, right yeah but I don't actually think I think he's much more like tragic you know it, yes I think so too because I think that one of the things that makes this tragedy is that it's there's this isn't I don't know I don't know but in Husbands there's so many outs. There's so many ways out for that guy uh, in the sense that like he doesn't have to behave the way that he does. But I think, well, actually, I don't know. I mean, what are the parallels between the two characters? I'm not really sure. But there is something really tragic about this guy. Maybe because he has something he really wants and that like That's anchors him. Yeah. yeah. And you don't have that as much in Husbands. Yeah. And then, so he rallies the troops. They put on like uh, one more show. Right. He, um, introdu- he comes and goes back down to the stage. He kind of gives this like speech where he's like, you know, it's like a lab- oh, he buys a round for everybody in the house. A lot more in the club. He buys everyone on the ground because yeah. he knows he's gonna die. He's dying, right. <laughs> which is great. It's like, fuck it, I'll buy everybody around. Right, right, right. Um, which is also great too because he's still piling up on the, the debts. Piling up he's debts. Dying. Well, he owns all the booze. You'd assume. <laughs> yeah. but and he, then he walks outside. And he walks outside. Um, and, and he, he reaches, reaches into, into his pocket, pocket, and it's bloody. And he's blood. And and then. And you don't know, uh, yeah, it, it ends, ends in this ambiguous with Mr. note. Sophisti- sophistication singing in a medium close-up. And one of the women comes up and lights like a false fire on his shoulder. Yeah, his hair sort of catches on fire. And he's, hair is, he's all sweaty and, and kind of gross. And he walks off and that's the end that's of the, the movie. That's the end, yeah. Wow. The end. Fiend. So, Liam, yes. final thoughts? Uh, I want to hear your thoughts. So, on the Johnny Staccato scale. Sure. Can I get a, a drum beat, please? I give this five out of five staccato. Wow, you really like this one. I fucking love this movie. I think this is my favorite Casabetti's film. Why do you love it so much? So what I really liked about it is that it felt really tight and controlled in yep. a way that so many of the other films did not. Previous to this. Yeah, I felt like the existential kind of um, themes are i don't know man it's just like they're very rooted in reality too yeah they're very rooted in reality i mean again i like i said i was kind of like i was saying earlier i kind of hate i hate kind of hate like ranking those things or ranking films or just kind of saying like well this film is better than this film but um i mean you can obviously say that of course about so many things and be uh truthful but i i don't know that like this film really kind of like stood out to me like this is i think the casavetti's film that i could come back to over and over and over again and probably not get bored of it. It's a pretty good entertainment. In the same way that I could say about like Faces or um, mm-hmm. even Minnie Mouse Quits. And I love Minnie Mouse Quits. And I would be like, oh, I could see Minnie Mouse Quits well, Minnie Mouse is a lot more extreme. <laughs> than this film about murder? Well, I think in the sense that like... It's very over the top yeah, in certain it's not ways. Real, it's not like a... F- well, I don't know if this is a fun watch, but like it doesn't have the same... I mean, I really think a big... I have to... Be Really, co- I think a big part of why this movie works so well is Ben Gazzara. Totally, He's so fucking good. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. truly one of the best performances I've ever seen. In and also, film. I think obviously the it's interesting to think that within, let's say, the confines of the genre, that yes. Cassavetes is able to kind of also restrain himself a little bit. Yeah, it is a very restrained movie, and you know, it's like who would have thought that like a p- sort of clear plot would be the best thing for a guy like John Cassavetes you know the thing about this especially as we think about like our feelings about maybe the second half of Husbands and how it feels a little indulgent and long yeah I don't think uh, any of us are at any point in in our conversations about these films have we denied that despite some of the maybe maybe what would be considered indulgences and in length and and scenes in some of the films they never feel anything less than convincing it's all very convincing but this is the first film where there's like a real clean story structure that's built around some conventions that are really interesting and that helps the narrative Um, it helps us it also helps us like to digest some of the thematic stuff going on in the movie i was reading some uh, i've been reading some um like uh science fiction Mm. uh, the science fiction novel by uh 
Kim Stanley Robinson. Um, but it's also really interesting because at some point I was like, oh, the war- the warm embrace of genre fiction, <laughs> like the warm embrace you of like fucking dick. Of, <laughs> so pretentious of like a genre. No, well, that's what I'm, I'm trying to say. I'm not pretentious because um, to come to <laughs> genre. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, but it is really nice. But just yeah, to have like let's say. Um, then what I'm trying to say is like restraints and con- and constraints are not necessarily things that limit you. Right. Like sh- like in the sense of like working within the genre. It's really a great movie. Really, it a is. truly great movie. Yeah. Um, up next. Jeez, opening night. I was Liam Billingham, and I, st- I still am George Fragopoulos. But you're a killing machine. Oh, you know it. This was Uberbusters. Yeah. Well, before that, he feeds the dogs. Did you yeah. also notice one of these dogs? One of these dogs uh, would go on to work in the uh, Reagan administration. I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, I believe. Uh, How long did you work on that joke? <laughs> It took me hours. So he feeds the dogs. He goes. Administration, am I right? <laughs> oh my god. Oh. <laughs> okay, I have to drink some water. Oh my god. It's like I was listening to like the best of Carson <laughs> or something. <laughs> Secretary of Commerce. <laughs> From out of town. (laughs) (laughs) No, (laughs) we're leaving this whole thing in.